Holy shit. We got a lot of questions today. Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. I tried really, really hard to get Shannon to do the intro to this podcast. I really wanted you guys to hear it. It's fucking hilarious. Well, it's not at the time. It's kind of annoying, to be honest with you, but she thinks it's funny. And I think you guys would think it's funny, too. So she hears me in the office doing my podcast all the time, and I'll come downstairs and for, like, lunch or something. I'll be like, what's going on? And she, she goes, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. What's going on, guys? It's Cody Boom Boom here. Coach Cody Boom Boom here. And she does it over and over. And she just repeats all these things. And she thinks she's hilarious. And it drives me insane. But she barged in on me doing this podcast. (laughs) And it made me really want to. I was like, yo, just please do it. Please get on the mic. And she was like, no, no, no. She wouldn't get on the mic. So sooner or later, I will get her on this show, guys. And you guys will hear the lady who puts up with the madness in this house, but it was fucking hilarious, and I was trying so hard, but we got a ton of questions today, guys, it's it's literally going to be, I haven't had this many questions in, I don't know how long, did I post at the perfect time for Instagram algorithm or something, I don't, I have no idea, but I literally posted yesterday, like, yo, doing a podcast Q&A, let me know, I posted in the, the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, and I also posted on Instagram, and I have probably at least 15 comments on the on the podcast forum and I woke up to over 20 DMs of like questions and stuff. So, it's very likely I will not get to everybody's questions. So, if you ask me a question and you do not hear it on today's show, I apologize, but it will be on a future episode or my media guy is on his way over right now, so when he gets here, we might shoot some videos with your questions. So, regardless, content will be made for you, I promise. But for now, we're just going to get right into all these questions and try to uh, just crank out as many as we can. So let's start with Marlon. Marlon asks, Ugh, sleep, so important. I plan to get seven hours minimum and end up with around six hours or less. My brain won't shut off sometimes. Ever had that happen to you? If so, what do you do about it? Yes, I have that happen to me all the time. So my first recommendation would be, and I actually don't do this, but I've heard amazing things. And to be honest with you, all the literature, all the science, all the research shows very, very good things. And I'm pretty convinced that I'm going to go try it um, just because I want to test because I get clients ask me about it all the time. But CBD oil, I mean, there's a lot of positive benefits from CBD, CBD oil from, I mean, just down regulation, joint health, but especially sleep. I've been hearing a lot of people talk about how like that is their sleep remedy. So, so maybe try that. Um, I personally drink a Rishi tea or a hot cocoa from Four Sigmatic, and that does help me a little bit. It's, it's, it's like a mushroom that obviously makes you calm down a little bit. Um, and kind of unwinds you. So that's my philosophy is right there. But to be honest with you, I mean, I could give you like realistically, it's just one of those things like if your brain won't shut off, most likely it's due to a few reasons. Number one, it's probably because you had some form of stimulation to your nervous system too close to when you're trying to go to bed, whether that's caffeine or electronics and lighting. You have some form of stimulant that is causing your brain to stay awake. Melatonin is not being produced enough or you have too many stimulants blocking that melatonin from like overriding and shutting you down um, and you end up being just wide awake. Uh, this is this used to be my issue all the time. I, I, would, I was going crazy like why can't I fall asleep? Well, dude, stop drinking caffeine at 7 p.m. Pretty simple, right? So I cut that out and boom, I'm, I'm, I fell asleep. So I would definitely try that. I would uh, make sure your room is cool. It's getting summer, so a lot of us have hot temperature houses right now. But studies have shown if your room is above 60 to 65 degrees, um, you're not going to sleep as well. Like our bodies like to be bundled up, so it helps to be in a cold room and actually have to bundle up in order to fall asleep. So what I recommend is setting your AC on so you're between 60 to 65 degrees. If you don't have AC, hit the fans. Um, we haven't got an AC installed in this house yet. I, I plan to, but right now we just have a, a ceiling fan and then a big fan pointing directly at me. Um, and that keeps you cool. Window open, whatever. Um, and then last but not least, 
blackout shades. If your room isn't pitch black, and I know that sounds crazy, but if you have lighting coming out of the cracks of your doors, through the blinds a little bit, like those things will affect your melatonin levels. They will affect your eyes. They will affect your sleep. I promise you. And they've done studies that show when people have literally pitch black rooms, they sleep a lot better. They sleep more through throughout the night. They have a better quality sleep. So what I would recommend is definitely pitch black room, cool things down, and shut electronics off at least an hour before you go to bed. And that's probably the killer for most people. It's hard to get off your phone. And now, like, like I like to read before bed, but even now, like most of the good shit I like to read are research reviews or articles and stuff on my phone, which makes it tough. Um, so I would definitely try your best to do that. Um, you could also stop eating two to three hours prior to bed. Um, that's not a huge one, but I do believe that like, regardless of what's going on, your body is going to send its attention, whether that's blood flow, oxygen, water, whatever, to a specific part of your body that it needs to be functioning. And when you are digesting, everything is centered in the gut. So if you can give yourself two to three hours to actually let digestion pass before you try to lay down and shut down and wind and go to sleep, um, it's probably going to help you out a little bit. I would suggest that. Um, the last thing I will mention is doing a brain dump before you go to bed. This helped me a lot because I am such a, I'm just a thinker. I've always been an overthinker and I'm always a, I'm a, I'm a strategy guy. So for me, like this is why journaling is so powerful for me. Like I wake up and I have ideas and like I have to write them down and I've literally no shit. You can ask Shannon this. She's called me crazy in the middle of the night. I have woken up in the middle of the night, popped out of bed and started writing on a notepad, writing notes on my phone too, either one, because I get ideas and I will literally pop out of a dream and write down a great idea. <laughs> so that's how crazy my mind is. But the point of this is, is before I go to bed, I write on a sticky note or a piece of paper every single thing I need to get done the next day and any ideas I may have. This is called a brain dump. And basically when we're going to bed, we lay down and we have a ton of thoughts. We know what we got to do tomorrow. We're trying to like schedule things. We're trying to plan things. We're trying to think ahead. Our mind is going a million miles an hour. You are not going to be able to shut down and fall asleep. I can promise you that. So the best thing to do in that scenario is to actually do a brain dump, sit down with a piece of paper and write down everything you need to get out so you can actually fall asleep. Um, super, super helpful. Um, and then CBD, I'll let you guys know. I'm going to go try it. I might actually go pick up some uh, today or tomorrow. But I want to try it and just see if it helps me sleep because I've heard great things about it. Um, Melissa Tatum Donaldson. Been reading some about LIS, low-intensity sustained state. Oh, I've never heard it that way. Low-intensity steady state is what I call it, but same shit. Cardio, especially when focusing on aesthetics. What are your thoughts? How could you be integrating into uh, an aesthetics protocol? So how would I integrate low intensity cardio into an aesthetics protocol? I love, uh, like I'm I'm a big fan of low intensity steady state um, because it doesn't crank cortisol up. It does not damage your nervous system. It's easily recoverable and it burns calories. The whole point of cardio is heart health and calor caloric burn and recovery. And this is going to help you recover, right? So the way I in integrate it, and I just wrote a blog on my website called The Ultimate Fat Loss Plan, and it's it's about like the final 5%, right? So, or 5 to 10. Like 90% of your, your results are going to come from the big rocks, right? And that's your strength training, your macros, uh, your sleep, your hydration, all these big things that are very, very important we cannot skip. But after we lock down those 90%, it, that's when we put the 10% in. This is where we put those small rocks, the gravel, and then the pebbles, the sand. We fill that bucket until it's full. Right, So I just wrote an article about this and I break down a lot of different things and LIS is one of the things I talked about in there. The way I like to incorporate LIS is two ways. Number one is going to be through fasted steady state cardio in the morning and I know that sounds super, super bro um, to talk about but the truth is is steady state cardio done early, early in the morning can actually be really beneficial because number one, you have no food in your stomach, you're, you're in a fasted state so you're going to be producing more ketones which is going to help you use fat for fuel, right? So when we're using fat for fuel, obviously we're doing just that. We're burning stored body fat. Um, but there was also a lot of studies that have shown when, when cardio is done fasted, it actually increases these different enzymes um, that are responsible for mobilizing fat and using fat for fuel. So when you're fasted, and this is the same concept as the keto kind of thing, right? When we're fasted, our body is more likely to, to mobilize fat especially stubborn fat. So if somebody is trying to get rid of belly fat, for example, 
My go-to is probably going to be some steady-state cardio in the morning um, before you eat anything. Um, it also increases a bunch of different hormones and, and things that are going to help break down stored body fat um, to just add to that whole thing. Um, it's going to actually help affect how our muscles can uptake fatty acids to use them for fuel when we're strength training as well because fat is stored in the muscle as well as, as a type of fatty acid. Um, so although fasted cardio isn't going to necessarily burn total daily more total daily calories compared to fed cardio because they burn the same amount of calories. Studies have shown that there is a possibility that the the type of fat you are burning and where you're burning that fat, which can be more likely to be stubborn body fat when you are in a fasted state. So I'm a firm believer. But the issue here is, is when we're fasted and it's first thing in the morning, our cortisol is already high in the morning. So what we don't want to do is go into an extremely high-intensity cardio regimen fasted because that's going to crank cortisol up even more. And the worst way to have chronically elevated or the easiest way to have chronically elevated cortisol levels is to just do a ton of different cortisol-elevating things like in succession. So we want to balance those things out. So for high-intensity cardio, I do not like doing it fasted, but for low intensity, I do like doing it fasted. That being said, one of the ways I incorporate it is a daily walk in the morning. This is exactly what I do. For 25 to 30 minutes, Monday through Friday, I go on a walk. And I, I ramped it up to 30 minutes literally just a week ago because I'm trying to push the fat loss right now going into summer. Normally, it's it's a 10 to 15 minute walk and I do it for mindset purposes. It's kind of like a meditation. But now that I'm really focused on losing body fat, I'm like, okay, I'm going to ramp this up. I go 25 to 30 minutes at a pretty decent pace and I, I just walk outside um, early in the morning in a fasted state. And I actually take L-carnitine and apple cider vinegar. Um, GDAs work great for this. So... Um, Glucose uh, disposal agents work great for this. I took this from Jason Theobald, which he'll be on the podcast soon to talk about this stuff. But basically taking those in the morning to increase insulin sensitivity before you go into fasted cardio could possibly help lose stubborn body fat as well. Um, Just some little hacks that you can throw in there. But um, that's one of the number one ways I, I throw it in is just walk steady state in the morning. The other way is actually just having a day where you're doing steady state cardio and this is like an active recovery day where all we will do is low intensity cardio and maybe some mobility and maybe some carries which I, I do like farmers carries for low intensity cardio where you're not going super super heavy on them but you're walking a very far distance so maybe you're grabbing 25 pound kettlebells and you're walking a mile like literally and trying to drop them as little as possible your shoulders are obviously burning to hell as well but the main purpose here is going to be strictly uh low intensity cardio keeping your heart rate down but overall, like the, the main purpose I see with low intensity cardio is utilizing it for anybody who, number one, hasn't utilized it before. So if we look at cardio as just cardio, just as a modality, not separating it between any different intensities, um, your body adapts quickly. Like your body has a hard time adapting to strength training because there are literally thousands, if not millions, of varieties that we can implement um, to progress. Exercise variation, tempos, loading, reps, weight lifted, sets, total volume, daily, weekly, monthly. There's so many things we can change that cause our body to keep guessing and never fully adapt. And even if we keep with the same thing for two, three, four weeks, which we should, our body will start to adapt, get better, grow faster, stronger, bigger, and then we change it up again because there's so much variety. So we don't have to worry about like ever changing like strength training as much um, or I guess you can't really even put it that way because cardio you can change intensity, low intensity, moderate intensity. So, uh, but with cardio, our body does adapt to it. So what I was getting to is if somebody comes to me and they are doing strength training three times a week and high intensity cardio three times a week, I will shift them to strength train four times a week and do low intensity cardio two times a week. And the reason being is because from a metabolic standpoint and a nervous system standpoint, our body is reading strength training and high-intensity cardio very, very similarly. Now, obviously, you're going lighter and a little bit higher um, with heart rate intensity when you do high-intensity cardio versus strength training, you're going heavier. But if we look at a squat, we'll go heavy on a squat for five reps. We are doing a load for 30 seconds at most. Our heart rate is pounding through the roof, and then we're going to take one to two minutes off. That literally is a high-intensity interval. 
So our body kind of recognizes it the same way. Obviously, we build more muscle with strength training, and that's our priority. So if we're doing the same modality from a metabolic standpoint six days a week, our body will adapt, and it's not going to get the better results. So I've taken a lot of people, and I go, hey, those two days or three days you're doing high-intensity cardio, we're going to shift those, and we're going to do low-intensity steady state. Maybe do some ab work before, and then all I want you to do is walk on the treadmill for 40 minutes at a 60 to 70% max heart rate. So you're breathing hard, but you're not like – pouring sweat and, and you can't talk to somebody you're not like out of breath complete excuse me completely but that is a good shift for somebody because that will trigger their body to not be adapted anymore first of all and start actually burning fat so i've seen a lot of people be stuck on a plateau um, and then shift to low intensity cardio and it helped a lot this is exactly what i did as well I was all high intensity. I shifted to low intensity. I got shredded. Um, and then I ended up going back to high intensity for a while. Um, and then I went back to low intensity. So switching back and forth is good um, or doing a combination of both. So another way you can implement this, which they have done studies on this as well, and it shows to kind of get both benefits of both high intensity and low intensity is to start with high intensity but do way less. So maybe you just do five rounds of 30 seconds on, 90 seconds off, or even 15 seconds on, 45 seconds off. Very hard, high intensity all out, and then directly after you go straight into low intensity cardio for 20 to 30 minutes. That's another really good way to use low intensity cardio that's going to help burn a lot of fat. Um, last but not least, the other way I set this up is if I'm doing both, this is actually what I do right now. My current setup is push-pull legs, so I train six days a week like strength training, um, and I do an early morning fasted walk, and then I do two to three days a week, I'll do five intervals on my assault bike at the end of my workouts. So I'm doing 15 seconds on, 45 seconds off, balls to the wall, high intensity cardio, but it's on the same day as my lifting days. And I will do this with people whether they're doing six days a week like me or not. Even if somebody's doing four days a week, I will have them do high intensity intervals on those days to keep the high demand nervous system days all together. Meaning, you're already in the gym strength training, pushing your nervous system. You might as well put the high-intensity cardio that's also going to push your nervous system on that same exact day. And then the next day, use that day to fully recover by doing low-intensity cardio so when you come back to strength training, you're not burnt out. Whereas if you were to do heavy strength training, damage your nervous system, then the next day go right into high-intensity cardio and make that nervous system even worse, by day three when you have to go back to your lifting days – you're suboptimal, you're not performing as well, and you're more likely to get injured because your nervous system is smashed and you have to deload more frequently. So this is a really great strategy. Um, and, and just as a fair warning, the reason I'm doing six days a week while I'm on a cut, which I wouldn't normally recommend to most people, is because my training sessions are usually no longer than 45 minutes, and that's with a warm-up. I do not train for long because I run a full-time business, I have a baby, and I have nobody in my way at the gym, so I don't have to wait for shit. And I am the type that doesn't like to take long rest periods. So for me, like a typical leg day, like I get in, I do my warm-up, my activation, I do some heavy squats, I do some heavy deads, I do a single leg movement, I do some abs, and then I finish on the salt bike. That does not take me that long. I'm not doing tons of variations. I keep it very simple. And because of that, I'm doing push-pull legs, push-pull legs, take one day off which is a higher intent. It's a very intense model. Um, but that's exactly why, like I do low intensity in the mornings for my cardio. Sarah Pringle, what are your go-tos to help with DOMS? Because your programming, <laughs> because your programming has me like, whoa. Yeah, this is uh, one of my clients. So Sarah, what are you, what is your go-to for, to help with DOMS? Actually, just what I talked about. And I, and I like, I'm, I'm not off the top of my head. I apologize, but I can't think of what I have you doing for cardio right now, but I believe some of it is lists. And that's kind of my protocol for DOMS is like if you have like let's say Monday, Tuesday are two heavy days, Wednesday should be a low-intensity recovery day. Like don't drop carbs on your rest day. Keep them up so you can recover. Do low-intensity cardio so you're moving. You're getting oxygen to the muscle. You're getting blood flow to the muscle, but you are not stopping and just sitting around doing nothing for your rest day because that's going to make DOMS even worse. So for the most part, my, my strategy, to be honest with you, is adequate sleep, adequate hydration, hit your macros, do not carb cycle because taking carbs out of your rest day isn't on your rest day isn't going to help you recover. It's not that carb cycling doesn't work or isn't a good idea, but if you are experiencing DOMS and gains is your number one goal, which I know for her right now, we're, we're really targeting muscle gain, um, that shouldn't be you, – you're definitely going to want to keep carbs in on that day. Um, and then, yeah, just, I mean, double down on sleep, to be honest with you. Take a sip of this. Lacrox. 
I'm just playing. I know it's LaCroix, guys. You, you told me over and over again. I think I got like eight DMs. Yo, I don't want to be that guy, but it's LaCroix, bro, not LaCroix. And then like other people are like, oh, we're all calling it LaCroix now. Yeah, I get it. I said it wrong. Whatever. Jeremiah, how much do you adjust clients' training volume when in a deficit? Um, so this really, really depends, right? So like if you look at my current I'm a horrible example of this because I'm doing push-pull legs, which is a lot, on a cut, but I'm not in a huge deficit. Like, I'm still eating 350 grams of carbs right now, and I'm, I'm losing at a very slow but, like, acceptable pace. I think I'm losing, like, 0.25 to half a pound a week, which is all I want because I want to maintain maximal muscle. I'm in this for the long haul. Um, I'm, I'm cool with taking a slow cut. So for me, I don't need to adjust training volume. And I also take in at least 25 grams of carbs through cyclic dextrin right after my workout. My meal timing is perfect. My supplementation is on point. I'm getting enough sleep. I have all my ducks in a row. So for me, I'm not really adjusting volume too much at all. So in the situation where my client has everything so on point and is just like meticulous with their recovery and their hydration and their macros, there's really no need to adjust their volume. The issue with volume on a cut is sometimes you go for too long and it's too late. And what I mean by that is if I have somebody and I'm, I'm playing with their volume, usually they will get into a state of overreaching without even realizing it. And then we're like, oh shit, we push the volume too much. So what I would say is like, and let me actually, let me go a little bit deeper on that. If a client is, I'm, I'm programming for them and we create a big deficit and we leave programming as is. Week one, they're fine. Week two, they're fine. Week three, they're fine. Week four, they're fine. We're like, oh shit, we didn't have to drop training volume. This is perfect. Week five, they crash. They are fatigued. They are stressed. They're not sleeping. They're having cravings. Now we're like, oh shit, we should have deloaded on week three or week four. So my advice is if the if the trainee is experienced and advanced, just pre-plan deloads every three to four weeks. And even if they feel great and they're like, oh, I don't need a, kilo, a deload coach, deload them anyway because at that point they are going to be too smashed now the difference is is there's some people who like general population sometimes you don't have to worry about this as much because when somebody comes on board with me and i'm in their first three months of coaching them we don't even know what their maximum recoverable volume is so i'm not pushing them to a point where i have to worry about it as much so some clients i don't even have to deload so for example if somebody comes on board and i haven't trained them for the last six months I'm going to give them the minimal effective dose. And if I know for a fact that I'm giving them amount of volume that is getting them results, but they are easily recovering because we track their biofeedback every day, every week, then we don't have to worry about deloading or dropping volume if I cut calories again or anything like that. Now, I have clients that have been with me online for more than a year. I have a, a couple that have been with me for longer than two or three years. They have been literally with me for a long time. And those people, I have their volume dialed in so like so on point that I know when we push, like I have a guy right now, we're pushing for summer. I dropped his volume because I know how much he can handle. I've pushed him to that overreaching point. I've, we've done the gaining phase. I've pushed him as high as he could go. So it really depends on how comfortable and how experienced the individual is. Um, if it's somebody new, it's going to be hard to tell. But if they've been doing this for a while, if they're an experienced lifter and they have years under their belt, they can typically handle more volume. They're more in tune with their body. So you can ask them and you can just see trends. If their weight isn't progressing in the gym, if it's decreasing or anything that might be alluding to the fact that they may be suffering from a recovery standpoint, stress, craving, sleep, lack of progression in the gym, whatever it may be, you should probably plan a deload for a week, maybe even a diet break and then get back to it. Um, I don't think people's training needs to uh, – volume needs to decrease that much. Maybe weight lifted because – and that's another good point, I guess. Rather than dropping sets and reps, I would just suggest dropping weights because the intensity isn't going to be able to be the same, so your load might want to drop because your nervous system isn't going to be able to handle as much when you're in a calorie deficit. But you can still use a little bit lighter load and still go for speed, go for strength, go for tension, go for reps, um, and keep the total reps and sets as high as they were before you were in the big deficit. So um, a lot of different answers to that, but I think there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Bridget Brevik, curious if you have any experience working with people on medications for ADHD. They speed up metabolism and suppress your appetite. Yeah, I do. Um, not a ton uh, because a lot of people just don't even – tell me, but I have had a few people that have been on ADHD and uh, have uh, 
ADHD um, and they're taking Adderall or whatever it may be in, in it can go a couple ways. Like I've had people that have started with me and because they were so focused on their goal, they actually stopped taking the Adderall so much and they realized that they didn't need it as bad as people made them believe from the doctor's standpoint, to be honest with you. Um, and then I have other people who, um, we just kind of w- work through it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, look, like at the end of the day, this is your goal. So you, you got to eat plain and simple. And because I kind of lay things out for them, like, Hey, like let's look at, um, and this would be the strategy side of it. Like, let's look at what, what foods we can eat that aren't overly filling, right? Like maybe they're going to be on a high fat diet because fats can be satiating, but it doesn't feel like you're eating a ton of food. Um, or they might want to be on a high carb diet because maybe they can eat like their first meal. Maybe that's fine. They can get that down. It's two or three hours later, they're still not hungry anymore. Whereas if they have them on a higher carb approach, they're actually probably going to be hungry later because it's going to stimulate your metabolism. Carbs aren't the most satiating nutrient. Um, They're going to kind of spike your insulin and let it drop, which is going to cause you to have a blood sugar um, shift and you're going to want food again. So sometimes that helps. Um, And then another thing too is, is metabolism is one of those regulated things, right? Like how many times, and there's probably plenty of people listening to this that can relate too, but how many times have you had a client where, they were under eating drastically and they say that it's just impossible to eat more than 1600 calories or whatever it may be. And then you just tell them like, Hey, like I I don't want to tell you to force feed, but just try this out for a week. Just give it one week of every single day hitting these calories. I promise your hunger will spike and you'll start being able to eat more. And after a week, maybe two, they start getting hungrier, hungrier. It's easier for them to eat consecutively um, at that caloric intake. And it just becomes easier because they become more hungry. They get hunger spikes. Um, more often. So I think that's a big one. Um, and just kind of, I mean, to be honest with you, it's just like a a habit change. If you can just talk to people and get them to eat more and just educate them on why, like it's it's so important for their goals. I think you're going to be way better off. Um, I'm I'm sorry. I feel like that wasn't a very good answer to be honest with you, but at, at the end of the day, I don't think there's any tactic for it. Like, um, the ADHD thing, like my experience with it is little. And I just think to be honest with you, you just got to educate them on like why you need to eat. Like at the end of the day, like I get it, but I think if you choose and like super shakes and different foods that are easier to eat, that don't fill you up as much. I think it's going to be a smart tactic, but otherwise it's just like talking to them about their goals and just getting them to just, just do it. Grant Kale, considering there are ads for TRT. So testosterone replacement therapy, medical centers everywhere. What are some of your go-to tips for optimizing testosterone levels? Man. Um, First and foremost, I would go listen to the podcast I did with Travis Zipper. I don't know what episode that was, but um, number-wise, but that was a really good episode where we talked about all things hormone. I mean, he is the hormonal optimization expert, and that's what we dug into. Um, So go-to tips, like here's the deal, like with testosterone, if it's really low, it takes a long time to build up. And that's the thing people don't want to hear. And that's the reason why people resort to TRT because you put the patch on, you take the shot, whatever it may be, like you're going to get your testosterone levels up quick and you're going to feel great pretty quick. It's like a pre-workout, right? You take pre-workout, you feel the jitters, you feel like this energy and you go, right? It's not a long-term solution to fix your energy levels though. Caffeine is temporary and you can adapt to it. What you need to do is fix your daily habits, fix your nutrition, fix your hydration, fix your sleep. Then your energy levels get up. Same thing with testosterone. It takes a while to increase. Just like it took a while to decrease. Like think about your lifestyle. How long have you been shitty, uh, having shitty sleep? How long have you been super stressed out? How long have you been not building muscle? How long have you been eating processed foods, all these different things that are causing your low testosterone, probably years. And that's why you have low testosterone. So it's, it's definitely something that takes time. So just to, just to forewarn everybody. Um, but like, I think tips, number one is going to be sleep. I think the biggest precursor for increasing testosterone levels or hormone levels in general has been known to be sleep. So first and foremost, make sure you're getting at least seven hours a night, but up to nine hours. So I think it's anywhere between seven and nine hours is going to be optimal and it's going to help you boost that testosterone level. 
Um, I would try removing things like BPA plastics in your diet. If you're drinking a ton of water bottles, get something like I got one here. It's a, one of the Nalgene bottles or whatever. Um, stuff like that is actually going to help. I know it seems like petty, but it will help. Um, turning off uh, too much radiation will – so like turning off Wi-Fi at night. Like I know I have my phone on airplane mode during my sleep because I don't want too much radiation. I try to keep my phone out of my pocket because um, believe it or not, the radiation from the Wi-Fi and the Bluetooth and all these different things too close to your testicles can lower your testosterone levels. Um, check out Ben Greenfield's stuff to learn more about that, but that's a fact. Um, doing things like red light sauna, I'm pretty sure helps. Um, nu- Nutrition-wise, you're going to want to really focus on things like um, a high, like a good quality fat diet, which is basically just going to be getting omega-3s in there, getting grass-fed butter, getting macadamia nuts, um, getting grass-fed, grass-finished steaks with the fat, whole eggs for the cholesterol purposes that are going to help testosterone. Like, There's a lot of different fats that you can implement in your diet, so I don't think you necessarily need to go on a super high-fat diet. I think it's just that you need to not be on a low-fat diet, and you need to prioritize where you're getting those fats. A lot of people don't eat enough fat, so they're like in the – so for a 200-pound male, I'll see this all the time, they're eating you know 40 to 50 grams of fat because they think that's what like will get you shredded. So we definitely need to bump those up. I mean, I would say at least 60, 70 grams a day. But when we lo- dissect it and we look at where those fats are coming from, it's like their fats are coming from their carb sources, right? Like they're eating oats and, and brown rice and, and bread and these different things, and they're getting a ton of omega-6 fats. They might be eating olive oil, which is great, but in excess, it's not the best. So look at your fats and switch it up. Get a ton of writing. Get as many healthy fats as possible. My go-to fats are coconut oil, olive oil, grass-fed butter, um, salmon, fish oil. I always have at least a couple fatty steaks a week. I have whole eggs every single day. Um, I don't eat a lot of avocados, not because they're not bad, but just I'm just not a big avocado fan taste-wise. It's not like uh, I like them, but they're not, it's not my best thing. If it's... If I have guacamole with some chips and a Corona, I love it. But other than that, I'm just I'm not a huge fan. Um, but those are all really, really good fat. So I definitely would optimize your fat intake. Um, lower all processed and artificial foods. That's going to help a ton. Um, shopping organic, shopping local, just eating whole foods in general. And trying to look at – if you can look at every meal and be like, did this – like is this something natural? Is this something whole? Is this something that came from the earth? Yes. Okay, you're good. No you might want to question it, right? There's certain things that are that are on the fence like like gluten-free whole grain rolled oat like quick oats or whatever from like Bob's Red Mill. Did those grow out of the earth like that? No, but are they still whole foods? Eh, in a way. Like if your body can tolerate it, I don't think that's going to harm you. Um so like some of them are on the fence, but you get the point, like mainly whole foods. So the biggest thing is going to be sleep though. Um and then strength training. Doing the right shit like don't go in the gym and do cardio and isolation work. Go in the gym and do heavy squats, do, do heavy benches, do a ton of heavy rows. Like do some stuff that's going to get your heart rate up. It's going to cause some damage. You're going to really have to push yourself and it's going to be heavy lifting, heavy resistance training. That's going to be the biggest thing for for um as far as like testosterone goes. Melina, thoughts on fat resets to re regulate glucose and fat burning so a fat reset is essentially it's eliminating carbs from your diet in order to improve insulin sensitivity so you can handle carbohydrates better in the long run but also so you can burn more fat in the short run Um, a lot of people get stopped um, they get plateaus because they are becoming insulin resistant right their insulin sensitivity is poor and this happens through bad lifestyle habits, to be honest with you. It happens from shitty sleep. It happens from body fat accumulation, unhealthy diets, unwhole foods, stuff like that, um, especially body fat accumulation. The more body fat you have on your body, the less likely you are to be insulin sensitive. And insulin sensitivity is basically – that's your system to store carbs where you want them to store. So you can – store carbs as body fat or you can store carbs as glycogen in the muscle cell to help you build more muscle obviously we want the later so what we want to do is improve that insulin sensitivity so our body prefers to store carbs in the muscle cell but also so our body can burn stored body fat and get us lean essentially so the the fat reset diet is something you can do in order to help that it's essentially so 
I think a lot of people took it the wrong way and they just went straight keto. Um, and again, this is just another, it's not a fad necessarily. It's just a strategy, guys. Like carb cycling is a strategy. Intermittent fasting is a strategy. The issue with these quote unquote strategies is that they're sexy and they have a name. And when something has a name, people grab onto it and think that that is the approach. That is the one thing they need to do. And in reality, it's not. It's just another thing that you can implement that might help you get to your goals, right? It's a strategy. So there's a lot of ways to use this strategy and you can go keto. You can go modified keto to where you're like an Atkins diet, right? Like high protein, high fat, low carb. Um, and that can help because now your body is forced to deplete its glycogen and start relying on fat to fuel its energy. Plain and simple. If you go too high of protein, that will get converted into glucose, which is not what we want. So we want moderate protein, high fat, very, very low carb. You can do this, and I think this is a smart approach in order to improve insulin sensitivity and eventually lose weight and be able to process and handle carbs a little bit better. But I think it's a temporary thing. I don't think anybody should plan on going into a fat reset diet for life. I think it's just that. It's a reset. It's like an elimination diet, right? We, we do elimination diet to figure out what is causing these symptoms, what is causing the gut issues. And once we figure that out and we eliminate completely that thing, we go back to a normal diet. Well, a fat reset is basically you reset your body to burn fat as fuel. You get a little bit leaner. You slowly implement carbs back in while lowering fats again. And now your body is more insulin sensitive to those carbs. You've lost body fat and you're more likely to build muscle burn fat for the long run. So I think it's smart and I think it's good to help you with your insulin and blood sugar levels because it will help you from a health standpoint. But the issue is, is you can't go on this diet and just stay there forever because you're not going to perform as hard, obviously, because you don't have as many carbs in your system, so on and so forth. So I think it's smart. Um, I don't even remember what she asked about it. What are my thoughts? I think it's smart. Um, I think that it's a tool, but I think there's other ways to reset your insulin levels that people forget. Like people assume because of keto, because of freaking, uh, what is it? How am I forgetting what this is? The butter coffee, um, bulletproof coffee, because all these fucking keto bombs and all this shit, like people are like, oh, okay, I have to eat a ton of fat that will allow my body to burn more fat. And then I get to the the unicorn of results i don't know um i think the truth is is we need to get our body in a place where it can actually burn stored fat and it's not just from eating a ton of fats yes lowering your carbs can help but you can do that temporarily this is where carb cycling could actually come into play you could take two days a week in a row maybe it's a wednesday thursday where you go super low carb and it's just two days of like quote unquote insulin sensitization or you can go three days a week where you're low carb and you can cycle them high carb, low carb, high carb, low carb, high carb, low carb. You can um, carb bunch, which is something I do with a lot of clients. The mornings, you have high fat, high protein veggies. Like you don't have anything that is super, super demanding of the insulin, like spikes, um, pretty much keeping all your carbs in the afternoon in a four to six hour window. You have your, so low fat, or I mean, sorry, high fat, high protein, high fat, high protein. Your pre-workout meal is protein and carbs. Post-workout meal is protein, carbs, and a little bit of fat with some veggies for dinner. You go to bed, you repeat the cycle. Now we have one insulin spike a day instead of these constant and frequent insulin spikes throughout the day, which is going to help insulin sensitivity in the long run, which is going to help not store as much body fat and they have studies to prove this. This is exactly why carb backloading works. Um, they have studies that show it's not necessarily because – well, I guess it's it's inconclusive. It might not be because you are consuming all these carbs at night, like the carb night solution and backloading and all these like intermittent fasting, the renegade diet and these things that showed – we eat carbs in the afternoon. It's actually because you have carbs in one window, so you're not having constant insulin spikes. That was a pretty uh, a study that showed a lot of evidence that it might just be the time of day, um, or I'm sorry, the window of carbs versus the exact time of day that is helping this insulin and helping fat loss. So, and that can help with the fat reset protocol, like just bunching your carbs up. Um, cutting out processed food helps. Um, eating more whole foods helps. Um, eating more uh, carb sources that are just better for you from a blood sugar level. So test your blood sugar level and see which carbs work better for your body. Obviously, maybe a yam works better than freaking white bread for you. 
well then cut white bread out right so there's certain things you might just have to be a little bit less flexible with your diet um more sleep is always going to help so there's a lot of ways to do the fat reset protocol i don't think it's all about just cutting out carbs and eating high fat i think it's all these different things that can possibly increase insulin sensitivity um so more would be glucose disposal agents so things like apple cider vinegar pills cinnamon extract um, L-carnitine, things like that that improve insulin sensitivity. These are all technically types of things you can do for fat resets. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot I could go on that. I don't think – I love carbs and I'm a big fan of carbs because I like my people training hard and I know they help. So I think there's a, way, a lot of ways to go about it. But at the end of the day, if if you try those different things that I was just talking about and you still are stuck, you know you're insulin resistant and you are just not losing any weight, then hell yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you can you can try a fat reset diet to the extent where you're going high fat, low carb. Dana Leary, how would you set up a diet for a client who came to you with the goal to lose as much fat as possible for a six week challenge? How would you structure their diet once the six week period ended? Um, it really, man, that one's that one's hard. It really depends on the individual. In an ideal world, if so, like let's say this, like if I came to you. Or if I came to me, let's say it that way, if somebody in my exact position came to me and they're like, hey, I'm training a lot, I'm committed, and I am eating a good amount of calories every single day. You know, I'm eating 350 carbs, uh, my fat's at 70, I think, and then my protein's at 180. So I want to say I'm around 27 to 2,900 calories kind of floating in that range. If I came to me and I was like that, I would literally go, okay, we have six weeks. I'm literally going to cut like a thousand calories out of your diet. We're going 17 to 1800 calories. Um, and we're just going to go aggressive at it as hard as we can for six weeks. I'm probably going to cut carbs pretty low. I'm not focused on performance and I'm going to take a pretty big aggressive mini cut. The thing is, is with six weeks, I would reevaluate at the three week mark. So three or four weeks into it, depending on how they're doing, if they're losing a good amount of weight and I don't have to worry as much, I would give them a three to four day diet break to just make sure hormones aren't being affected, which I don't think they would be in a, in a short six week period. Um, but I w- would possibly add one of those in. And then after the diet, I would bring them really close back up to where they started. Um, and I would just let them know like, hey, we cut you know 10 pounds of fat. That was great. We are going to bump calories right back up to that 27 to 2900 that we, we finished at um, over the course of maybe one to two weeks. It, some people I would go right away to it. Some people I would take two to three weeks to do it. Um, and I would let them know like, hey, you're going to gain a few pounds. I mean, easily. Every gram of carbs stores three to four grams of water. So just know that this weight you're going to gain isn't necessarily fat. And even if you did gain some fat, it would literally be maybe a pound. So if you gain five pounds the next week, just know that that's water, that's stored carbs in your body that you are just holding onto in your gut because that's what happens with food. You store it um, and don't worry about it. Like that's, it is what it is. And then we're going to stay here and you're regardless going to be down, like that'll probably taper down and we'll be down more than we were when we started. Um, but you did very successful in the challenge. That's probably how I'd go about it. Now, if somebody came to me and they weren't in my position with a healthy metabolism, a pretty good amount of calories, um, and very, very committed to the process, I would take a very less aggressive approach. Um, I would maybe go a little bit paleo-ish depending on the individual. If they're eating a bunch of junk, I would just go strict paleo, um, and I wouldn't have to take a big deficit because they would just be eating so much better. I would think they would get a lot better results. Um, so it really depends. I need more clarification on the client. Um, but essentially, I would just I would personally do a mini cut. I would go aggressive with it. I would get them to their six week challenge, and then I would reverse out of it pretty damn quickly. Um, it's only six weeks. I don't think you need to take a slow slow reverse diet approach with that short of a diet because it's really just a mini cut. Um, but again, if somebody had a damaged metabolism coming to me, I might not even take them through that. I might be like, hey, like I know you want to win this challenge and all, but you're in a shitty place right now, and and I'm not going to take you through a, an aggressive six-week diet knowing that it might harm you more than than where you're currently at right now kimya curious about info on how to go about choosing and finding a mentor how did you go about finding one and what should you be looking for my first mentor just popped up in front of me um i was training in a gym and I was not doing it in a very smart way. And he saw my knee brace. He saw that I was struggling and I needed help. And he just basically came up to me and was like, yo, I think I can help you out. Um, I run a class called functional training. You should come check it out. And 
I fell into his uh, into his shadow essentially and just started rolling with the punches and started doing whatever he told me. So I think my example is a bad example because at the end of the day, I got lucky. Somebody ran into me. Somebody like literally saw me in the gym and just decided they were going to talk to me and help me out and thank God for Tim Fagan for doing that um, because because of that, my second mentor, Luca Hosevar, popped up in front of me as well. He was speaking at our class. And I was just like, yo, there's a reason he is standing up there. There's a reason I'm sitting right here. It's because I was meant to meet him. I was meant to connect with him. I believe everything happens for a reason. So I just reached out and reached out and reached out and bugged him until things happened. Um, that being said, I think anytime a mentor or somebody you look up to is talking to you through a podcast, through a video on YouTube, through an Instagram post, through Facebook, through a live workshop, Wherever you see somebody that just connects with you and your gut feeling tells you that you need to reach out to that individual, that you could use his help, that you relate to whatever he or she is saying, I think you just need to suck it up and reach out. I think a lot of people do not take action. They do not ask for help. They do not reach out to people because they're scared. What if they don't respond? What if they say no? Who gives a shit? It doesn't matter. Just try. Right. Like what is the harm in trying? There is no harm in trying because the worst thing that could happen is nothing. You get no response and you go about your day. Right. But for some people reason, some for some reason, people are so afraid of not hearing back. And I think that's the issue people fall into. So um, in my current mentor who is mentoring me right now, um, Jason Phillips, I heard him on a podcast and I was like, damn, this guy is doing exactly what I do, except he has a million dollar business. He is doing things at a very high level. I plan to be on that level. I plan to scale to that height. I should probably reach out to him. He, I relate to him. He shares a similar story. He seems like a good dude. And I hit him up. I flew to Vegas. I sat down for dinner with him. And, and the rest is history. Right now we talk every week. So I think it's really about just just not giving a fuck and just, just reaching out. So like there is no key to finding the perfect mentor. The truth is, is you got to seek it out. People aren't going to like seek you out to be your mentor. You have to ask them. You have to like tell them you appreciate them and that what they are doing is going to help y- your situation and you would do anything to pay it forward and to to be under their wing. And if you come about it the right way like that, nobody's going to say no, man. Like that's the, that's how my mentorship started to be honest with you. My first 3 or 4 were people that just hit me up and were like, "Yo, I I need a mentor and you you are that person. I just have this gut feeling like, and I was like, cool, let's talk. And we got on the phone and again, the rest is history. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think the truth is, is there's no secret to it. You just gotta, you gotta seek out somebody that your gut's telling you to seek out and let it just happen. Okay. So Jessica Evans, you have a long question, but I'm going to read it. It is a long winded one. Laugh a lot. See right off the bat. Could you talk a bit about the potential damage done to your metabolism or anything else when training in high-intensity sports? I ask because I boxed competitively, damn, that's badass, good shit, for about five to six years and would regularly put in 10 to 15 hours a week in the gym doing incredibly taxing work and would almost always be in a deficit so that I wouldn't have to constantly be cutting for matches. Ooh, I assumed at the time... That this was better than the extreme cutting that would be after listening to your. Po- oh, I skipped a line. Yo, you guys got to shorten the questions because I am not a good reader, guys. I, I'm a great writer and I'm not a good reader, especially not on my phone. These little tiny, tiny screens. I assumed at the time that this was better than the extreme cutting that would be done by many of the other folks at the gym. But after listening to your podcast for some time now, thank you. I imagine this was as damaging, just as damaging. Now that I have switched to weightlifting, I found I have put on a few pounds and I assumed it was due to lack of the crazy amounts of cardio. My immediate instinct was to add more cardio, but I am now thinking this is probably not necessarily my best approach. Curious about your thoughts, as I assume this is somewhat endemic to the sport. Also stoked for your new program to come out. I had some great gains with functional muscle. Thank you for getting functional muscle. By the way, guys, quick announcement. I've been horrible about this. Next week, I believe, it's either next week or the week after. We'll see. I'm waiting on my uh, my guys to who help me with websites and stuff to finish the sales page. But the next program is called Density, the Boom Boom Performance Power Building Method. Power building is the smartest approach to building muscle, to building strength, to anything, in my opinion. Because at the end of the day, 
it's a combination. Studies have shown that you cannot lift in one strict rep range to get the most optimal results. The most optimal results from a long-term perspective are done when we are incorporating heavy weight, low rep lifting, and moderate weight, high rep lifting. So we are hitting the power and strength aspect and we are hitting the hypertrophy aspect. When you combine these in a very smart program that actually progresses over time, this is where you get the best results possible. This program I'm coming out with is 10 weeks long. It has one, two, three, four, four different phases. So it goes two weeks, two weeks, four weeks, three weeks. Um, no, two weeks, two weeks, four weeks, two weeks, I think. Um, and it's, it's literally progressed in such a smart way. I took so much time on this one, guys. This is the best program I've put out. I've tested it on over a handful of clients who have gotten insane results. It goes through specific phases to make sure that you are optimizing every single aspect of strength and hypertrophy. So if your goal is fat loss or strength or building muscle, this is the program for you. Like literally, I'm, I'm super pumped. I'm super proud of this one. This is better than anything I've done. Um, it's a great sequel to functional muscle and I'm super pumped. And you guys will have first grabs at it. Um, it won't be ready by the time this show airs, but uh, but very very soon, and I think it will be next week by the time you, excuse me, hearing this. Gotta stop drinking that Lacroix on the podcast, it makes me burp. Um, but definitely stay tuned for density, guys. I'm super super pumped about it. Now, Jessica, to your question, the truth is, is you have to reverse diet. I don't want to go too deep into this question, to be honest with you, because. I think I've talked about reverse dieting a million and one times across my blog and podcast and YouTube, but go check out the recent YouTube video I did. I'll leave a link in the show notes um, in the description to go check out my YouTube where I talk about reverse dieting because the truth is, is your nervous system is probably damaged. Your metabolism is probably a little bit run down, adrenals, thyroid, all these different things. Your, your go-to is going to be reverse dieting. It's going to be a slow, long process, but the truth is you need to slowly bring calories up. You need to slowly drop cardio down, if not out completely, and just focus on strength training, sleeping more, and just being patient. The hard part for you is because you were lean and boxing for a long time, you probably have a high standard for yourself, but the reality is, is you need to be patient. You need to wait. Um, probably hire a coach because it will help you through the process, and you just need to slowly get to the result you want to get to. Like, Do not rush this process and just kind of wait it out and take a slow, not super aggressive reverse diet approach. From Instagram now. See if we can get through a few of these before the show ends because I, I still have a ton of questions. Zoe Makala, M A K A L A. Wow. Zoe M A K A Y L A. I think it's Makala. It's a different way to spell Makala. I like it though. Zoe, what's the most difficult thing you see nutrition wise for vegetarians and vegans who have consistent training habits but aren't seeing results? And probably don't track their food properly enough. So number one thing I see is they don't track macros. Vegans and vegetarians typically will just do that. They're like paleo, right? I'm paleo. I don't track macros. It's it's a dogmatic approach that they get stuck in and they forget that macros aren't a diet. Macros are a metric system. It is a tool to use no matter what kind of diet you're using so you can be more specific, create a more individualized approach and actually get to a result that you want to see. So I've had multiple vegans and I've had plenty of vegetarians that come on board. They're not tracking macros. I get them to track macros. And I show them how to get enough protein in their diet, even though being they're vegan or vegetarian. And all of a sudden, they get crazy results. Um, I posted a transformation on my Instagram story uh, highlight reel of results of a really good, like, I think it was only like eight-week transformation. And it was basically just because we just got more specific. So typically with vegetarians, especially if you're not super overweight, if you can dial in meal timing, if you can take algae oil so you can get some omega-3s because typically your diet is very, very low in omega-3s, if you can find sources to get vitamin B12 or even just supplement with B12, um, and then just make sure you're getting protein in. Like if you're a vegetarian, you're going to be eating a lot of fish and egg whites, and that's it is what it is. Um, and if you're a vegan, you just need to really – most likely, to be honest with you, get some uh, vegan protein powder, and that's going to be kind of your crux. If you can, drink some BCAs, uh, BCAAs, and some creatine during your training because you're not going to be getting any BCAs practically, at least not any leucine. You're not getting enough leucine in your diet being a vegan or vegetarian to really supplement and support building muscle at a, at a good rate. Um, so definitely do that. Um, during your training, get vegan protein powder in every single day. 
um, and just optimize macros. Like it really comes down to that, like dialing in your macros to a point where you are at the right ratio, getting protein from whatever sources you can, um, and then just not being in a caloric surplus. All right. RD underscore fit nutrition asked how getting leaner makes you more insulin sensitive while excessive cardio makes you insulin resistant. So, um, I'm not going to go into this one because we just talked about the fat reset diet. So basically, I just talked about that. As you get leaner, you become more insulin sensitive because you have less stored carbs as glucose, essentially. It, it really is. It's, it's getting your body. It's, res, it's making your body resort to stored body fat, stored ketones, stored fat as your primary fuel source versus always having glycogen in the system. You got to deplete your system to get there. So a lot of times that means getting really lean, um, which can obviously include reducing carbs or doing some of the other fat reset protocols. But basically your body is more receptive to carbohydrates. You have a high, a better carb tolerance um, and a, just a higher insulin sensitivity when you are at a lower body fat percentage. So I'm not going to get super in depth with this because we just talked about the body reset. Um, so refer back to that. Um, white boy, white boy 97. <laughs> I love that name, bro. Uh, what's your best advice on gaining weight slash muscle mass? This is uh, it's too too general of a question to be honest with you. My best advice is do what you're not doing now. If you're a person out there trying to build muscle and all you do is train in the 12 to 15 rep range, I think you should be training in the five to seven rep range. Go heavy, start lifting some brutally heavy weight, start getting grit in your training, and let that work for you. If you are somebody who only prioritizes the three to five rep range, start getting a pump. Start training in the 10, 12, 15, 20 rep range. You will build muscle. The truth is, is you need variety in your training. And whatever you're not doing now is probably going to be the best implementation into your training that you're doing. Um, I also see a lot of people that are doing um, – this is kind of like uh, – like a double-edged sword, right? Like some people do way too much volume and their body just doesn't have enough time to recover, right? They're training six days a week from the jump and they end up going into the state of overreaching all the time. They actually need to train like three or four days a week, focus on heavy weights, just focus on tension, focus on a mind-muscle connection, prioritize recovery, you will build muscle. And then I see other people who started at three days a week, got some results, and then they plateaued and they left their volume the same. Well, in your case, volume is a precursor of muscle mass, so you do need to increase your volume. So I guess the answer to that would be just checking your volume equation, see where you're at, and then make sure you optimize it to whatever spectrum you need. Um, more sleep is going to be huge. I see a lot of people that are stuck and not gaining any muscle because they're just not getting enough sleep. They're sleeping five hours a night and they're not recovering. They're not letting their testosterone and growth hormone, these other things that are being produced at high levels during their sleep rise and they're overly stressed and they just don't build. Um, I see a lot of people who do not eat enough calories, right? You have to be in a surplus and you should probably be in a surplus through carbs versus fat because carbs are going to be more likely to get utilized for, for uh, muscle. So Man, it really, really depends on where you're at. The, the best advice I can give is switch up your training. I see a lot of people who focus on all these little things, yet they've been doing the same shit in the gym for the last two years. So if your training isn't dialed in, if you don't have a coach that's programming for you, if you didn't buy a good program like Functional Muscle or like the one that's about to drop, Density, get something like that, whether it's with me or with, with somebody else, but get something that's actually going to prove um, to be a solid program and give you some of what you're not already doing. I think that's one of the reasons why Joe DeFranco's training works so well for so many people is because it does a lot of heavy loads. It does a lot of athletic-based movements, and it still does high rep training. He gives a little bit of everything. He is hitting people where they have not hit yet. They haven't yet attacked that side of training, and that's exactly what I do too. Um, and that's usually the biggest thing. So the best program is the program you've never done before. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one is the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the All-Inclusive Guide 
to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum, and that is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.